welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. We are here. We are live. It is the day after. You are trying to make sense of the events of Wednesday night, and we are going to make an attempt to sort it all out for you. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know what we can actually provide in the way of insight. I mean, I, me anyway. We have Taylor Twelman on this program coming up in just a couple of minutes. Perhaps Taylor can shed some light on what happened yesterday. And I don't just mean, well, let's dive into it. Again, Taylor Twelman coming up from ESPN, going to give us a, a look from his perspective just what went on with the United States Bend national team last night. That's where the news begins. I don't, I don't know if I even want to like engage in any, in any like chatter before we just dive into what's happened in the last 24 hours. What's happened in the last 24 hours is that, is that the United States men's national team lost to Jamaica 2-1 in Atlanta in the Gold Cup semifinals. The first time the United States has been eliminated by a CONCACAF team that wasn't Mexico in the history of the Gold Cup. The first time since 1968 the United States has lost to a Caribbean nation on U.S. soil. 1968, people. That's pre-Pele. That's, that's pre-soccer boom. That's, that's back when like six guys in New York were playing soccer. And we had to fill out the rest of the team with, you know, like field hockey players or something. I mean, I joke, but that's a long time ago. Jamaica got goals from Darren Maddox, looping header off of a throw-in, and Giles Barnes, a free kick, and never looked back. The United States pulled one back through Michael Bradley off of a rebound, off of a rebound, and the United States certainly looked like the more dangerous team for most of the match, but it didn't ultimately do any good. They didn't create enough chances. They didn't put any shots on goal that really troubled Jamaica's keeper, despite the fact Jamaica's keeper was gun-shy as all hell and was probably right for the taking. The aftermath of that game, Jurgen Klinsmann chucked it up to some bad luck. Some bad luck, guys. The team and uh, the team and fans are disappointed. We lost this game with two set pieces. We had enough chances to score four, four or five. We didn't do that, and Jamaica won. Congrats to Jamaica. They performed well. Defensively, Jamaica did a very good job. We had enough chances to put this game away. The luck, the luck was not with us, but we were also not clinical enough. And here's the kicker. I mean, this is, this is the, this is the, sh- this is where it hurts right here. We need to finish off in style Saturday in front of our fans. Approaching that game the right way. We owe that to our fans. The third place game. Nobody cares about the third. If I didn't have to, I wouldn't watch the third place game. In fact, raise your hand if you don't intend to watch a stupid third place game against Panama. And you know what? Panama might not even show, so maybe we'll be off the hook. Because in the other semifinal last night in Atlanta, Mexico beat Panama 2-1. Controversial game. Early sending off of Tejada by referee Mark Geiger, who American MLS fans know well. Mexico giving two penalties in that game. Both of them converted by Andres Guardado. The first one, highly questionable. Torres falling over the ball. Geiger giving a penalty for handball, I guess. Guardado, in the aftermath of that game, said he considered missing the penalty. 
because it didn't feel right. But he didn't. He scored it. Panama manager Hernan Dario Gomez said that he considered retiring. He is considering retiring. He said that that game was such a dagger, such a, a hard game to swallow. I've been managing teams since 1987, and this is the first time that I experienced this. With a team well-worked, with athletes desiring to give their country another Gold Cup final, with a press that has accompanied, accompanied, accompanied and helped us out. If it was up to me, I could say I do not want to continue in soccer anymore because that was horrible. It was an utter robbery. In the locker room after the game, the Panamanians went so far as to create a banner calling CONCACAF thieves. It's not a good day to be Mark Geiger. Right after the final whistle, he was bum-rushed by the entire Panamanian team. And I imagine he'll be feeling the effects somehow for quite some time. Now, in the right after the red card, I went back, I said, or at the time, I said, okay, that's a tough call. He had to make it. Going back and looking at it, it's obviously soft. The problem is that as a, as a player, you put your elbow, forearm, whatever, into the face, head region of another player. You, you force the referee's hand. And refereeing is hard enough. We have the benefit of all of these replays. We always forget that. Mark Geiger probably didn't see, and Carlos Vela had an, an elbow in this, in this game as well and was given a yellow for it. I, mean, I can only imagine he didn't see the Vela elbow as well as he saw Tejada's elbow. Difficult situation. Also, uh, that match sullied by the fan behavior, the Mexico fans, the uh, predominantly Mexico crowd, majority, overwhelmingly majority Mexico crowd in Atlanta, throwing things on the field as they tend to do. The, uh, the, that game's just a, just a tough game to, to wrap your head around. If you're wondering about the playoff for the CONCACAF, I'm sorry, for the Confederation Cup spot from CONCACAF, it's been set for October 9th. Could possibly be at the Rose Bowl if Mexico wins the Gold Cup final because that would put the U.S. and Mexico in a Rose Bowl final and lots of people would show up. And CONCACAF would make a lot of money because we know that's what it's all about. U.S. Open Cup last night, Chicago beating Orlando 3-1. Kennedy of Oganike scoring two late goals to give Chicago the win. Semifinals now set. RSL versus Sporting Kansas City and Philadelphia Union versus Chicago Fire. The Red Bulls reserved, reserves shocked Chelsea 4-2 at Red Bull Arena last night. Now, remember, the Red Bulls played in an Open Cup match on Tuesday, therefore didn't have available their full team, rolled out a bunch of reserves, rolled out a bunch of kids from Red Bulls 2, and shocked the defending Premier League champions. Of course, it's a friendly, doesn't mean a hill of beans, but very good on uh, the Red Bull reserves. Sean Davis with two goals. Kyle Rainish played well. Some good stuff there. All right. Bayern Munich has agreed to sign Arturo Vidal. That has been coming for some time now. But the Juventus midfielder, the Chile midfielder, will move to the German champions. Bayern chairman Karl Heinz Rummenigge confirmed the Chile international's midfielder's move pending a medical at a press conference in China where Bayern is currently on tour. The United States has issued an extradition request to Trinidad and Tobago 
for a certain Jack Warner as they chase down those individuals brought under indictment as part of the FBI investigation. Trinidad and Tobago's attorney general says he has received a U.S. request for extradition of former FIFA president, vice president Jack Warner on corruption charges. And Trinidad legal experts believe Warner's extradition could take up to five years. So don't hold your breath on that. Let's take a break. When we come back, Taylor Twelman will tell us what happened because I don't know what happened. What happened? Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. This Saturday, Barcelona and Manchester United will play in front of a sold-out stadium of 68,000 fans in California. For those of you who, like me, won't be at the game, it'll be live on television. But for a different experience, I'd like to encourage you to watch the game on TV and then listen to me live on Rabble.tv at the same time. With Rabble.tv, here's how it works. After you tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my opinions and observations. With Rabble, you can listen to my broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. So far this summer, over 3,200 of you have listened to me on Rabblecast. If you haven't checked them out yet, this Saturday would be an ideal opportunity. Plus, you can join in, too, by posting your questions and observations in the comments section. With two of the biggest clubs in the world battling it out in Santa Clara, who will get the win? Find out this Saturday, July 25th at 4 p.m. Eastern with me on Rabble.tv. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning on a Thursday, a very dark and gloomy Thursday. No matter what the weather's like, the United States is out of the Gold Cup, losing in the semifinal round to Jamaica. To try to make some sense of it, we have ESPN's Taylor Twoman on the line with us. Hi, Taylor. How are you? Good. What's going on, my man? Uh, well, let's, let's try to figure this out. What happened? I mean, you know, I don't know that they played... Uh, that poorly, Taylor, but when you don't finish and you give up two set-piece goals, you, you kind of make your own bet here. Yeah, you do. I mean, but I, I, I think we're blindsided by the fact that two set-piece goals, how often does that happen against the United States and CONCACAF? And, and both of them, quite frankly, were, you know, falls on the shoulders of the players for whatnot. You know, the first one, there's no reason for Darren Maddox to win a header inside the 18 on a long throw in when you're, you know, got at least four or five guys around him, one, and two, it's a mistake from Brad Gazan. I mean, reality is you never see that called, but it can be called. Mm -hmm. So, you know, two mistakes, but the United States had chances, Jason. So it's just one of those things where the chance didn't go their way. And quite frankly, it wasn't a great Gold Cup on any stretch of the imagination from the United States and Mexico. Even though Mexico's in the final, both teams have not really played well. And I'll tell you from experience, Gold Cups are a nightmare to try to go in and have any kind of quote-unquote style and yeah, substance right. to it. It's all about survival, and the United States didn't survive. Well, I mean, I guess that comes to it. I mean, if we want to give Jurgen Klinsmann a bit of a pass on the style because Gold Cups are tough and they're weird and the refereeing sucks and the fields are terrible and, and whatever, that's fine. But nobody else before him has lost 
that sort of game in that round at this tournament. I mean, Bob Bradley didn't do this, but Bruce Arena didn't do this. I mean, you have to go back to the 60s to find a loss to a Caribbean team on American soil. That's terrible. Well, it's, it, it, it's not good. I'll tell you that. And actually, if you even dive in a little bit further, Jamaica had beat the United States, you know, in, in big games. Look at the last two losses that to Jamaica have been actually under Jurgen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't look good. It's not good. It's not pretty. And I, I think the discussion of Jurgen Klinsmann being on the hot seat and whatnot, of course, that's, you know, that's what it is, especially when you set the precedent that, Bob Bradley was set with getting fired after losing to Mexico in the final in 2011. So it, it's the right discussion. Does Jurgen Klinsmann get fired? The answer is no. No. Um, but the pressure's on. October 9th, uh, whoever they play in the playoffs, that, that Jurgen may be coaching for his job. You know, you, you, you hope so. I mean, you hope that the higher ups at U.S. Soccer, that Galati is going to hold him to that standard, not only because it's the fair thing to do in light of the way that Bob Bradley was fired back in 2011, Taylor, but also because that's the standard we should have. If, if Klinsman's not meeting the standard, then he should go. Now, you know, up until this point, Klinsman's been checking all those boxes in terms of results, plus tacking on these other little things to keep people thinking that everything is going well and he's making progress. And maybe he is, but, you know, it was the, it was the Gold Cup in 2013 and winning the hacks. Those are things Bob Bradley did. He did them too. You know, going to the World Cup. He didn't win his group, but it was a tougher group. So he gets out of it. We give him credit for that. Winning in Europe in friendlies. Okay, that's that's lovely and it hadn't been done before very often. I guess we give him credit for that. This is the first time he stumbled and missed one of those marks. And I, and it will be interesting to see how he's treated not just uh you know, not just by the fans but by the media. Yeah, I, I don't know how to look at it. I find it interesting, Jason. I think a lot of you know, as much as people go overrating the Germany and Holland wins. I mean, listen, those are great wins. They're friendlies where Germany and the Netherlands aren't really playing either. So I, I don't know how to judge, you know, the media looking at it. I've right. looked at it, looked at it the same way all the time. And the, the reality is he's judged on competitive games and results. And what's interesting is people talk about what he's brought to the youth game and all that. Well, that's so difficult to literally find tangible results. Mm-hmm. So for me, a national team coach, he's judged on results, plain and simple. So uh, judging by that, you know, it's been difficult. Well, I think there's a built-in, sort of built-in excuses for him. And I'm not saying that he always makes them. And it's not, not even really a criticism of, of him. It's it's just the way things are because he's got that technical director job. It is and he is supposed to be improving, you know, the youth programs and whatever. And he's supposed to get results. He can always kind of point to, well, I'm, you know, I'm doing this as a long term project, et cetera, et cetera. That's why you're not going to see necessarily the the fruits of the labor style wise at the top level. But if he doesn't win, what's the point? I mean, he doesn't win games that he's supposed to win. What's the point? True, but let me ask you this. So they win last night against Jamaica and lose to Mexico in the final. Are we still having the same conversation? No, because I think that, no, because the precedent has been set before. Oh, we the, should be. No, that's pr- what I'm getting at. Probably. We should be having the same conversation then. Uh, probably. I mean, certainly, look, I mean, the, the goal was to win the Gold Cup, and he put a lot of pressure on, on himself and the program by talking about the goal was to win the Gold Cup. And this is why he brought this particular team and 
didn't bring certain other players and why Josie was shown the door after the group stage is so we could go, we need to go win a gold cup and he's not helping us do that. And, you know, he came up flat. He came up short. He didn't, he didn't get that job done. I guess now the question is, you know, what is next and, and how much are we going to put into that October 9th date, whether it's Mexico or, or, um, uh, or Jamaica, I, I mean, I think everybody's targeting Mexico. If, if he loses to Mexico, and he's probably going to be in, a, in front of a full house at the Rose Bowl if, they, if, if Mexico lifts uh, this trophy. I, yeah, that's, that, it's coaching for his job and not because we know it's a unique situation. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's all about the World Cups. So we, we can all get into these discussions about Fed Cup, Gold Cup, World Cup qualifiers or whatnot. It's all about the World Cup. And ultimately, Jurgen Klinsmann, for when he was hired and brought into the situation, he will be judged on World Cup results, plain and simple. Now, if they lose and they don't go to the Confed Cup, I think the pressure's on. Uh, but right now, I don't think the pressure's on. I really don't. Because I think they, Sunil Galati and U.S. Soccer have invested so much in Jurgen Klinsmann and his vision that I don't think it's on. Now, October 9th, they lose to either Mexico or Jamaica. Then I think you're talking about the first couple World Cup qualifiers I think the pressure's really on there. But let's say they lose October 9th in the first three or four games, they win 2 3 nothing, and they've got 9 to 10 points and woke up qualifying already. You follow where I'm going here? I don't. It, it, it's a huge part of the process. Let's say they don't play competitive, Jason, but they play, they qualify for the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And we've seen the success of the under 20s. You know, it's the whole thing that Jurgen's selling everyone on and being hired by U.S. soccer to do. I don't know yet. I, I just think it's it's very difficult to compare it to Bob Bradley because I think it's apples and oranges to be honest. Yeah, I guess I guess what what we'll come to is um, for you, and this is as good a point as any to ask the question. I mean, I know as you said, he's going to be judged on the World Cup results, um, and they gave him an extension before the 2014 World Cup to take him all the way through 2018. But is 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 Jurgen Klinsmann progressing the program? It may not be ultimately his fault, so to speak, that the player pool is what it is at the senior level. I mean, he's he's rolled through a lot of players, maybe not as many as Bob, but a lot of players. So it's tough to say, well, he should be getting better results or he should be playing better soccer if it's ultimately down to how good the talent pool is. Well, of course. I think any coach will tell you that. But it's also part of a job of a manager or coach is maximizing the most out of that each individual and, and keep in mind what, what Jurgen was hired. He promised in that thing. You can, we can all have a discussion is the United States, the proactive team, the way Jurgen Klinsman promised and whatnot. The answer is no, but on the other hand, maybe he's been better at perfecting the counterattacking style that the United States has become known for. I, I don't know, Jason, I, I just find it odd to me personally that all of a sudden when you go on Twitter and social media and, and you bring up media, that all of a sudden now we're talking about it. This is all. This has been a discussion for the last World Cup qualifying cycle yeah. up till now. It's not as if the United States was completely burying Jamaican World Cup qualifying. Jurgen even said it. It took him seventy-seven minutes to score the goal in Kansas City. So, Concacaf is a struggle. It always will be, and I don't care what anyone tries to say. It, it, it just is. And when you're traveling in the Gold Cup and doing all that, you're going to have a year where you don't get to the final. You just It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's going to happen more frequently now because I think the gap between U.S. and Mexico and the rest of the country gap is much smaller than it was 
Five, ten years ago. Okay, I, I I can buy that, but it's 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 also difficult to really see that when the the Mexico team that has now advanced to the final is this particular Mexico team, which has impressed nobody. I mean, for all the questions about the United States in their group stage matches and, and being unimpressive, at least they won their group. At least they finished top. Mexico finished second in their group. They haven't looked. They haven't looked themselves. They can't put the ball in the back of the net. Took two penalties last night. Don't come to that. This Mexico team, I, I mean, if they list, if they lift this trophy, Taylor, just from a, a purely sports fan perspective, it's going to be a travesty. Why is that? Because they're not because they're not very good. Uh, because they got to this point based on two controversial games by co- beating Costa Rica on a penalty in the hundred and twenty whatever. The so they're the first. They're the first. So Jason, they're the first team to ever win. No, I, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that the, all those other times weren't travesties too. <laughs> those were Taylor. I'm just saying. Well, we I, we benefited from an awful travesty in 2007. I, I know. We I benefited. saw you. I saw you bring this up on Twitter, and and I don't know how many Canadian uh, listeners I have. I think it's a pretty sizable amount. I'm sure they know exactly what you're talking about. And that's all I'm getting at, though. So all of a sudden, we can't have you know amnesia on it, selective amnesia on it. This is Concacaf. This is the game. So many people in within the inner circles of either playing the game, coaching the game at the highest level, we all shared text messages and messages last night, Jason. That this is the beautiful game. This is why everyone loves it. But if if Mexico wins the Gold Cup, did they deserve it? Are they the best team? The answer is no, but they won. Yeah. So I don't think it's a travesty. It is what it is. Okay. Well, I mean, I just I don't look at it that way. 2007, Canada was completely onside, scored a goal against us in the semifinal. We had no business winning that game. We did. Yet, no. Now Twitter wasn't around then, but no one was talking about it being a travesty that we ended up beating Mexico in the final that year. Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, that was a Benny Failhaber goal year. Um, the. So at this point, I mean, let's okay, let's just let's just approach whether or not it's a travesty or not. And certainly, as you said, it's Concacaf, but Concacaf needs to improve. I mean, we want to see <laughs> that's that's a different discussion. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. I mean, look, and I don't want to throw everything at the feet of Mark Geiger because I don't think he should be the embodiment of of Concacaf troubles. But clearly, he was at the center of it last night. He made controversial calls. The Panamanians do not uh, do not agree with. Uh, they're making banners in the locker room. That's how upset they were. Uh, Taylor taking Instagram pictures, calling uh, Concacaf thieves. Um, you know what? What is it about the region? What is it about the refereeing here? What is it about these games? I mean, last night was such a mess and an embarrassment because of the bad calls, because of the the things being thrown on the field, because of the the near fights we had between teams, the the Geiger being rushed after the uh, final whistle by Panama. That, that stuff is terrible and it makes CONCACAF look bad it does and I'm not going to sit here and disagree with you on it whatsoever now are, are you know is Mexico the only group of fans that have that tendency no I mean you've seen closed door matches in Eastern Europe uh, for whatnot I, I think the problem with the whole situation is why isn't you know for the fans last night why is there no precedent set that if you do this you cannot attend the next game Why you follow where I'm going I, mm-hmm. that's the struggle I have in CONCACAF if that happens yet there's no reper- there's no repercussions there's nothing so that I don't understand regarding the call from Mark Geiger and, and I've reached out to three uh, referees that ref at the MLS and international level 
And when you studied the laws of the game, if there was a call last night to be had, it was an indirect free kick for Mexico, and it was for obstruction. That's not a handball. Mm. It was one, neither it was not deliberate, and two, his hand was in a natural position when he fell. I cannot believe Mark Geiger makes that call. I'm still shocked this morning. It has nothing to do with me being American and that call being for Mexico. Yeah. If that was Honduras versus Panama, it doesn't matter to me. That was a bad call, plain and simple. But the reaction from the players and the fans afterwards was just as bad, if not worse, yet nothing happened. Can you believe there was no red card or caution for what happened after that? I get, yeah. <laughs> you can think of that. There was not a single yellow card or red card given for the reaction after the penalty. That's mind-boggling to me. The, the, the worst thing for me about all of this is that when people come at me on Twitter, Taylor, after this stuff happens or they call up this show and they rail about CONCACAF and they throw out those two words that are, to me, the, 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 the two worst words you could hear around this game and those are match-fixing, I don't have a response. I don't think Mark Geiger's on the take, Taylor, but I can't sit here and argue with them that it's impossible there's some match-fixing going on. And even if it's not out-and-out, out, somebody's getting paid to, to throw a game, there's always this, the thought that Mexico is getting calls because they're Mexico and that the game is essentially determined before the outcome because they want Mexico in a final to drive ticket sales. I mean, those things are out there. Yeah, I, I just don't go into those discussions. You know, if someone wants to prove it, that's fine. Get after it, study it, do whatever you want. Um but it's hard to rebuttal it, Jason, and I agree with you, but it's also hard to come out and say, I, I mean, I, I just don't, I'm not going to go there. I don't believe Mark Geiger's on the take. I really sure, don't. I don't not, believe no. the assistant referee was on the take against, you know, the game against Costa Rica either. Uh, it's it just, it is what it is. Now, the problem is, is that for Americans, it's brought up a lot easier because all of the other sports that we watch in our country, there's instant replay. And so that's the issue you get regarding the people on Twitter bringing it up because the American sports fan says, well, look at the NFL. And even that is a hundred percent proof. They, they mess up those calls as well. But you follow me, Jason, well, I, a I, lot of that is the American sports. Fans. Yeah, I agree. And I think that we are uh, maybe that, but also as soccer, even soccer fans, even knowledgeable soccer fans, people who've been around the game, watching the game. I mean, certainly I've never played at a high level. You can tell me from your perspective, if this is different, we sort of forget how difficult that job really is. I mean, yeah, there's two ARs, but that's three people and a fourth official. You want to put them in the mix too. But I mean, we're talking about the, the, the breadth and width of that field and every call that, that, that a center referee is supposed to make over the course of 90 minutes or 120 minutes is, is down to one guy essentially, as opposed to like an NFL crew, which I think is 15 referees or a, a basketball crew on a much smaller playing surface, which is like three or four or five guys, whatever it is. I mean, it just seems that that job is too big for one person. And because we have, because we have replay, not that it matters for the game, but because we can see five times that, that forearm from, uh, from Tejada, we, the, the, you know, cry foul and then the penalties and everything else. We, we get to see all of these things perfectly crystal clear. Whereas Mark Geiger is making that decision in a split second on the run. Yes, of course. I'm not saying it's the easiest job, but I will say this. If there's any ounce of uncertainty in your, in your mind, you can't, why make the game about you? Sure. 
my one argument with referees is if if you're gonna if you're gonna err on one side of the equation, a lot of the players could decide the game. Mm. Just a lot of the players. No player will look at you and say, you know, and fault you for that. But you change the game with the red card call on Tahada, and then ultimately change the complexion of the tournament mm. with, with with a call on Torres that has no business in the 90th minute being called. So when I have discussions with referees, of course that's the, that's the human error part of our game, and I get that. I just cannot fathom because you have the whistle why you would make the game about you and not about the player. Allow the players to decide the game. That's my only advice. It's not easy, which is why nine out of ten times, if you let the players decide, no one's going to have an argument. It's a lot there. Uh, back to the U.S. men's national team quickly, Taylor, in just a couple minutes here on this. What do you? What's what's next? I mean, what if, if, if what, what what do we expect Jurgen Klinsmann to do? What should he do? I mean, we we have a there are a lot of easy criticisms to make based on the way that tournament played out. Again, I don't think they played overly poorly against Jamaica they didn't finish and and uh you know perhaps the defending certainly the defending was lacking on the in terms of marking and we could throw out questions about Ventura Alvarado and John Brooks I mean but is it that is that where we're at player selection are we going to talk about tactics what what should we be focused on well ultimately any national team coach going in a second tenor, he he's he's got to find the way to motivate the players because you've already gone through three and a half, four years of knowing the tendencies of a head coach and any coach, whether this is Jurgen Klinsmann, Bob Bradley, Bruce Arena, or, or Mourinho. It doesn't matter for me. At the national team level, I've always been a believer that the second tenure, if you get eight years or two World Cup cycles, it's difficult to keep the players fresh. Now, player selection will always be part of the national team discussion and I think it still has to be because Ventura Alvarado to me, and I, I've tweeted this numerous amount of times, Timmy Chandler, there are players that are being called and being played consistently that I think shouldn't. But that's not new for Jurgen, and that's not new for a national team coach. But the discussion that needs to be had in this country, Jason, if you're asking me, is youth development. Mm. That's what this is about. It can't, if we are banking on the national team coach, to install certain things, it's already too far down the path. So this opens up the discussion as it should, and that should always be the discussion. But regarding the national team and just here, again, if you ask me that, it's player selection and getting the guys to play for them. Because this goal this cup, excuse me, I didn't see a motivated team. I saw a team that struggled to get up for their gold cup competition. And if not for Michael Bradley and Clint Dempsey in big moments carrying this team, who else is going to step up? Clint Dempsey is going to be 35 in the next World Cup. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So these are questions of that turnover, and that's what I think should be. I, I just don't see Alvarado. It's a long throw, and I don't see him being a center back. I just don't. And, but that was the that was some of our frustration, is to see several poor performances out of certain players and then Klinsman be – committed to them um is that Klinsman do you think that's Klinsman valuing the the long-term plan over the short-term issue of winning especially in the case of Alvarado and Brooks less less well, that's where it gets yeah. a little contradictory right because yeah. he's saying Josie's being sent home which I had absolutely no problem with Josie being sent home he okay. was not ready and saying we need to win this you see Brad Evans called in you're seeing Graham Susie called in which I'm not sure they're in the picture if he's just looking at the World Cup in, in three years time yet Alvarado's being played. 
Like, that's where I was confused on certain things. And that's always been the case with Jurgen. He'll say one thing, but the actions are a little different on that. And that's, but every national team coach, what, what do people talk about around the world? Player selection. This guy shouldn't play. And right now, for my money, I don't know why Chandler and Alvarado are being called upon in a must-win situation in the Gold Cup. I don't get that. It's, um, it, yeah, and, and you is there a conflict then? Because Klinsman is the technical director and he's the head coach. And he's, at, those are, I mean, quite often, those are two things that are going to be contradictory. I mean, those are, those are two programs. Yeah, but let me ask you this. So yeah. if, if you're getting just a head coach and he's not the technical director, that doesn't change whether or not he calls in Chandler and Alvarado. I mean, possibly. I mean, possibly. I I don't know. I just think that it's well. Easy. Then he's not the head coach. Then James. no, no. I agree. I agree because I I think that what I'm saying is he can always. And I don't know. You know, again, whether he's doing this. I I think sometimes he talks like this, where he kind of says, you know, uh, things like uh, that Alvarado is going to play or Books is going to play because there are center backs of the future. Whereas you know, the, a head coach, if it was Bob Bradley, his job is only to win this Gold Cup. He's going to play the most. Uh, experienced, stable defenders he's got. Klinsman can kind of hide behind the notion of team building, which is, is again, those two things are going to compete with each other, and they're not always going to agree. Yeah, but Bob Bradley played in 2011. He played Freddie Adu. At the present time, Freddie Adu wasn't the most important player. It wasn't the best player at that position. I think every coach looks at the future, particularly a national team. And so right now, I think Jurgen's really looking at the center back position with Jeff Cameron, Matt Beasler on the outs looking in, you know, and, and Omar Gonzalez not being a starter in Jurgen Klinsmann's eyes. I, I, I think he looked at Alvarado, yeah, three years down the road and right now. And that's the discussion I want to have. Mm. It's Alvarado's names being called, Chandler's names being called, but what I've seen, what all of us have seen, that's skeptical. Mm. But that's we do this. This isn't nothing new. That's all I want to yeah. reiterate. This isn't because we lost to Jamaica. I'm having this discussion if they sure. won last night. Yeah, uh, you know, let's let's finish this off with um, something positive, and, and we'll make it a more general, big picture thing, especially in Concacaf. The two guys who scored for Jamaica last night are both MLS players, Darren Maddox and Giles Barnes. And while that's you know that's results based analysis here, there's certainly something to be said for the impact of MLS on CONCACAF, on countries like Jamaica, Trinidad and Tobago, some of these other teams that performed well. Uh, you know, imagine we'll see more Haitian players in MLS in the future and maybe even Cuba with things opening up. Can you just, from your perspective, give me a sense of, of how important MLS has been and, and the, the strides these countries have taken in part because of the professional opportunities players are getting? Yeah, I, I you know, MLS deserves a lot of credit for, for giving the opportunity for those players but regarding just jamaica and i was texting a couple of my old teammates that played for jamaica last night those players have always been in the united states a lot of them have been within the collegiate you know the collegiate ranks of playing in them you know in the united states throughout the year so it's not as if this is the first time you know but mls has helped i think mls has helped Concacaf a ton on honduras Panama, for that matter. I, I just think that gap that's been closed, a lot of that has to do with with MLS giving the players an option, you know, an opportunity to play, and then ultimately move on. Certainly, uh, certainly something to be said for all of that. As you said, I mean, uh, you know, Darren Maddox played in the college system. 
Um, we, we know a lot of these players. Giles Barnes, I mean, the guy grew up in England. He got, a, got an opportunity to reclaim his career in MLS, but clearly he's, uh, he's a, a different story. And, ML, and, and American soccer will have a different story, hopefully, moving forward with this U.S. men's national team. We got, you know, I got an October 9th date to focus on. The, the third place game, Taylor, what, anything, any expectations out of that? I mean, if Panama shows, which they have to, otherwise they face some, face some serious sanctions. Oh, I'd be shocked if they don't show up. I, I, so I don't think that's even part of the equation. They may jeopardize future Gold Cup participation and whatnot. So I'd be shocked if they don't show up. And as an ex-player, it's an opportunity. And Jurgen's going to call on some players and, and some players that it may be their last opportunity to impress. You never know when the next opportunity you get to put on the national team jersey. So from an ex-player point of view, third place game, eighth place game, it doesn't matter. Right. You have to show up, and I expect the players to do so. Such a, a letdown, though, after going for a Gold Cup title. Taylor Twelman from ESPN joining us the day after the United States loses to Jamaica in the Gold Cup semifinals. Taylor, I appreciate the time. Thanks a lot. We'll uh, hopefully talk to you soon. No problem, brother. Uh, let's uh, take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines and let you tell me what you think of all of that. United States losing, Mexico winning controversially. It's all out there. Soccer warning. WorldSoccerTalk.com This Saturday, Barcelona and Manchester United will play in front of a sold-out stadium of 68,000 fans in California. For those of you who, like me, won't be at the game, it'll be live on television. But for a different experience, I'd like to encourage you to watch the game on TV and then listen to me live on Rabble.tv at the same time. With Rabble.tv, here's how it works. After you tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my opinions and observations. With Rabble, you can listen to my broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. So far this summer, over 3,200 of you have listened to me on Rabblecast. If you haven't checked them out yet, this Saturday would be an ideal opportunity. Plus, you can join in, too, by posting your questions and observations in the comments section. With two of the biggest clubs in the world battling it out in Santa Clara, who will get the win? Find out this Saturday, July 25th at 4 p.m. Eastern with me on Rabble.tv. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are on a Thursday Soccer Morning. We are going to talk about the U.S. men's national team. I have a feeling. I don't think Trevor's going to have to give me topics when he punches up, these, uh, when he writes up these uh, these calls. I don't think he needs to tell me what you people want to talk about. I think, uh, I think I'm going to figure this out. Let's talk to Al in Missouri. What's up, Al? Hey, what's going on, Jason? Let me say this. Um, based, you know, based on listening to, um, to the fans during the last couple of weeks about this roster, I got a sense, and I, in, and personally, I, I really expected the outcome of this. I looked at this roster and I saw a roster that looked flawed, you know, like what are these guys were doing in this roster, you know, guy, I would have, you know, like, as um, Taylor just mentioned about Timothy Chandler, you know, 
and the and um the JGO and everything. What were those guys doing on the rosters? Why couldn't we use a Matt Beasler in there? You know, or Brad Evans, use some experienced players in there with some of the young guns and everything for this tournament. You know? Uh, Al, not, Al, you know, you're asking great it would it would you're asking it all the questions been we've been have. asking the whole tournament. We've been asking these questions for the entire tournament. Why no Matt Beasler? Why is Omar Gonzalez not starting more often? Why is it that the default is, is Alvarado and Brooks? Again, Alvarado entered this tournament not cap-tied with very little international experience. Lots of people would tell you that based on his experience with Club America, he's a guy that benefits from the five-man back line they played there. I mean, there's a billion questions here, Al. I don't have any answers for you, and Jurgen Klinsmann's not providing them either, which I think is the problem. Yes, and here's another problem. If you do decide to fire on Jurgen Klinsmann, I think it'd be a little bit of a step backwards than anything else because who's going to be your next technical director and coach of the team, you know? Well, you do have a question. Yeah, you do have a question of who steps in. I mean, Al, I got to let you go. I appreciate the phone call. There is, there's always an issue of if you consider firing the guy you have now, who do you replace him with? I mean, that's just, that's common sense. You should think ahead. Luis in Colorado, you're on the air. Hey, what's going on, Jason? Uh, Great show. Appreciate it, man. What's on your mind? I just want to comment. I just want to comment real quick uh, on the. Uh, on the the Mexico calls, um, well, basically, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I'm a Mexico fan. I'm not celebrating today. It doesn't feel good. It feels it feels dirty, downright. But at the same time, I mean, the the red card and the PK. I mean, those are split second decisions. I mean, the red card. I mean, like you said, the guy put himself in that position by putting his hand up and putting his his elbow, forearm, whatever, on Masa's face. Mm-hmm. Um, the the ref had to make a split second decision. Just like Torres made a split-second decision to lunge backwards, you know, towards the ball. You don't do that. You don't put yourself in that position. We may be talking about something different. These are all, you know, things that happen at an instant. Dagger had to make a split-second decision. Uh, you know, it looks like a terrible call from a lot of the replay angles, which a lot of them actually come from the sideline, which wasn't Geiger's view. Um, I'm actually with Taylor that it's not a no call. It's an obstruction at least, but this yeah. is all split-second things and, and, you know, to put that on, on Mexico's team and whatnot. Yeah. And, and also, I think, you know, maybe the atmosphere of the stadium probably played into the call. I mean, if it's a no call, that, that ruckus atmosphere, you know, it, it, it wouldn't compare to, you know, to, to the Panama players attacking the ref. It could have been a lot worse. You know, yeah. I mean, I, um, there, there is that to consider. I mean, the, the referee shouldn't be swayed by the crowd. Of course, that's not. You know, we, we know human nature that that's almost impossible to ask of them. As for the, the obstruction and the, 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 the situation with, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I throw, he didn't, I don't know that he threw himself back and put himself in a position and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I, you know, ultimately what, hurt, what, what sucks the most about that particular game is that, you know, the, the Panamanians, just like the Costa Ricans, fought and clawed and gave everything they had and, and they did it down a man for most of that game. They managed to score a goal from the you know from the run of play. Well it was a set piece, right? Sorry, it was a set piece. But they managed to score a goal when Mexico couldn't, uh, you know, from uh without without the benefit of a penalty. And and, and therefore, I mean we, we talk about this deserved thing all the time. The only time that I 
I, I don't like when people say, oh, he, that, that team deserved a win or they deserved this, they deserved that. It was a fair result. You deserve what you make. But in this case, Mexico didn't make their goals. Those goals were made by my, by my, nope. Mark Geiger. And that, and that's why it sucks, Luis. Yeah, agreed. They played terrible. And, and above all, every Mexican fan will tell you that they played awful. That was their worst game of the tournament by far. Hey, let me, before I let you go, Luis, because I got a bunch of people on the line. Is there a chance that even if they win this thing, now, I mean, I guess it depends on how they play against Jamaica, but even if they win this thing, is there a chance Miguel Herrera still goes? Because I think if they don't, he, he loses his job because they've been playing terrible and they lose the Gold Cup. I think he's already lost the fan base, but uh, luckily he's got he's tied up with a lot of corporate sponsorships. That's all. That's all. That's always how it is. Appreciate the call, Luis. Thanks a lot, man. Oh, right, there's a Mexico fan, Luis, owning up to the fact that his team is terrible. I mean, he just said it himself. We're terrible. <laughs> Daniel in Atlanta, what's up, my friend? Hey, good morning, Jason. Your town took a hit of reputation last night. What up, man? Come on. It's not me. It's not. It's not <laughs> Atlanta. It's the people that come to Atlanta. I, I'm just kidding. Everywhere. By the they, way, they don't just grow from Atlanta. This is true. And I made a comment. I said, Atlanta, you've ruined soccer forever. It's not Atlanta's fault. It's not. It just happened to be that these things happened in Atlanta. Those the two events last night: the U.S. losing Jamaica, Mexico getting through controversially. Both happened in Atlanta, and now Atlanta is going to have a black cloud over it until something better happens. That was that was Panama's game to win. And the simple fact that the ref, he, he, I don't know. This is why video replay has to be instituted in soccer, like either next year, the year before something, <laughs> because stuff like this happens all the time, you know? I, I, I don't know that I'm sort of a traditionalist, a traditionalist in that I believe that human error is part of the game. And I believe that if you institute instant replay, you're, you're threatening a lot of the flow. I mean, you have to, it would have to be nearly perfectly executed. And I don't know how you do that without disrupting everything that happens on the field. I, I think it'd be difficult, Daniel. I know our instinct is to, to get it right. It's most important to get it right. And that's why we have goal line technology now. But if we're talking about, replaying and, and reviewing calls that are so subjective and so 50-50 in a lot of cases, I don't know that that makes it any better. That call, that penalty, those two penalties that Mexico were given should not have been called. Well, the second and, I, the and second one's a penalty. Come on, Daniel. The second one's a penalty. No, no, no. No, I'm talking about the, the, the Costa Rica game. Oh, this, okay. The, the Yes, okay, right. The uh, Peralta penalty. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Go ahead. Yeah, the Peralta dive and then this other friggin' PK that was given last night, it just breaks my heart. And I wish and I hope and I was honestly praying that these friggin' Panamanians would have left off the field and would have stopped playing the game, even if it would have mean a loss for them. Because for them to lose like that, for them to come up in the 90th minute, 90 plus 13 or 15 minutes, I don't know how many extra minutes were added because of all the fighting and, 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 and arguing. They should have left the field. In my honest opinion. Yeah, you know, you know? I'm not sure that that's any better. I mean, a lot of a lot of blame to go around last night. Thanks for the call, Daniel. Uh, I've been thrown this by Robert and SoCal. This, I guess, is uh, <laughs> Mark Geiger's Wikipedia page as of the current moment, or maybe this is last night. Geiger is most known for scoring the game tying penalty for Mexico in the 2015 Concacaf Gold Cup semifinals versus Panama in the 101st minute 
after a 12-minute delay for Mexico fans throwing things on Panamanian players. He received the Man of the Match Award post-match. He retired at the end, quoting heroically, If no one marked the penalty, then who will? He will now be stationed at FIFA's headquarters in Zurich and will take the position of being the cashier as teams line up to buy referees, a new add-on of FIFA which has been expanded by the president, Joseph Blatter. <laughs> Jeez, man. Wow. Let's go to Roberto in Connecticut. Roberto, make some sense of this for me. I don't think I could make any sense. You know, for the last year, it's been a horrible, horrible year to be a Latin American soccer fan. The situation in the Boca River game, the problems in Chile, and now this. It's, it's just tearing this entire beauty of the sport right into the garbage. Well, Dan, Dan Roberto, you haven't thrown in all of the FIFA corruption issues, the continued, uh, the continued revelations of match fixing around the world, uh, the fact that, that you know, we are just flat out buy, people are just flat out buying things within this game. They're, you know, buying championships and buying players are always available to the highest bidder. And, and while I don't begrudge them the right to make money, it still doesn't feel right when players leave one place for another just based on a couple other, a couple more a million. There's a lot of stuff and it's not just, I mean, you can be, you can own all everything you want to own in terms of the Latin American soccer thing, Roberto, but this is definitely an issue for the general state of soccer right now absolutely absolutely reform has to be needed first of all i know i'm going to be quick and because we have a lot of callers um firstly if kunzman's job is apparently like over who do you think is the perfect replacement do you think someone like i don't know precky <laughs> where is precky hashtag where's precky damn it where's precky exactly i need to know i'm i'm it is driving me nuts where's precky now um, I, I know you're joking there, Roberto. That, again, that's the issue, right? Is if you fire Jurgen Klinsmann, and I, I do not think U.S. soccer's firing Jurgen Klinsmann. So let's just put that over here on the side and remember that practically speaking, this isn't happening. But even in, in a world where he is fired, who is the replacement? I mean, you got to go out. You're going to have to go out to the to the international market somewhere and try to find somebody. And right now, I don't know. I mean. Fabio Capello could be available. Carlo Ancelotti. Carlo Ancelotti. Carlo Ancelotti doesn't have a sure, job. Sure, he doesn't have a job right now. He's, he got uh, dumped at, at Madrid. I, I, you know, beyond that, there's not an American candidate that I can name that I would be extremely thrilled about right now. Um, you know, the, the, the guys that used to be battered around as possibilities, Siggy Schmidt, I think we've all moved on from him. Uh, the younger generation of coaches right now have issues. Caleb Porter's not the shiny golden boy he used to be. Jason Christ is having his uh, struggles at NYCFC, and you can't imagine him leaving that club one half a year in anyway. So I don't know where you would turn. I just want to go back to Taylor's statements about um, youth development being the situation. Um, I think it's we, we have the infrastructure. We have the numbers, per se. But I think it's just the problem of just coaching structure, the way to coach. And it's not... It's been a problem for the last few years in the United States. I think it's coaching, but I also think it's player identification. And, and you know, there is, um, there's some stories out there that talk about the, uh, the U.S. soccer scouting program. There are essentially 80 guys asked to scout the entire country. And we're talking about millions of soccer players. Uh, you know, I don't know what the number of boys soccer players in the United States is right this minute, but I guarantee it's in the millions. And to ask 80 guys, and apparently they're most of them are college coaches, to somehow cover a nation this large and forget the, forget population. By the way, stop throwing out population numbers as indicative of some failure 
on the part of the United States. Population means almost nothing when it comes to this sport. It's about efficiency. It's about a player identification. It's about culture. And the United States is behind on culture and behind on player identification. And it's more about the geographical breadth and size of this country if we want to talk about the problems with identifying the best players we have to offer who can then be put into the right programs or taken to an academy and pushed through to the point where they're professionals and they're delivering on the field for their clubs, which then means they're able to come to the national team and help us win games. That's where we are right now. Precisely, and that's something that's going to be suffering for the next few years unless we don't have a, uh, a structure like that. Um, I just have one last thing. Um, we have the Copa Libertadores final, uh, Tigres versus River. I think you're going to be happy when you hear these news. These finals are going to be broadcast in English on Fox Sports 1. Next oh, week. sweet. That's good. I'm glad Fox Sports 1 picked that up. By the way, not everybody is happy. Thanks for the call, Roberto. I appreciate it. Not everybody's happy with Fox Sports 1 right now because there seems to be a delay on announcing what's going on with the uh, with the um, Bundesliga rights. Trevor, have you heard anything about Bundesliga? Let me know. Carlos, Florida, you're on the air. Yeah, I just I just want to know as U.S. fans, when are we going to realize? When are we going to stop making excuses for Trevor and Klinsmann? I mean, honestly, how I hear all these soccer pundits making excuse after excuse. How low do we kind of think before we kind of take a step back? and realize, yeah, Jurgen Klinsmann has to go. I mean, let's be realistic about what happened last night. What happened last night is inexcusable, but we're making excuses, and to hear Jurgen Klinsmann after the game laid back on bad luck, give me a break. Yeah. Any other coach says that he will have been fired, any coach, why are we letting this, why are we taking this? It makes no sense. You know, it's interesting, Carlos, because... If I criticize Jurgen Klinsmann, if I tell him, if I tell people that I don't believe that his words, his comments, his program is matching up with the results on the field, even when they win games or even when they draw games or even when they lose a friendly that apparently doesn't matter, um, I get called a Jurgen hater and, you know, there's obviously some undertones of xenophobia mixed in there and blah, blah, blah. That's what I get. Questioning Jurgen Klinsmann is apparently for some people, beyond a fair approach to this team. Now that they've lost... That's what bothers me. Go ahead. Well, That's what bothers me about this whole whole situation. It's one, she has no accountability. And two, are we just taking this because of who he is? Because he's Jurgen Klinsman? Look, I'm at a point as a U.S. fan, I don't give a crap who you are. The The only thing that matters is the results, and we have not had and results in the past four years, he has to go. I don't understand this. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, you know, I, I, I said it to Taylor Twelman. He checked all of the boxes. And I think you can't, whatever you're paying the guy, and I know that that, that, that changes our perception of him, and he's got the technical director uh, role too, but he checked all of the boxes that we want our national team coach to check. And that's, again, you know, he finished uh, – he finished first in the hex. He qualified us for the World Cup. He won a Gold Cup in 2013. Um, he, he's, you know, again, it's sort of a down the line. I mean, he got the United States out of the group at the World Cup, and and that was clearly a more difficult group than in, than what Bob Bradley dealt with in 2010. So those things did not allow for, hey, it's time for Jurgen Klinsmann to go. Sort of sort of talk. 
I mean, again, my criticism of him was that he wasn't living up to his mandate and that he wasn't delivering us the type of results we thought we were going to get. There were questions of his player selection and everything else before this. I mean, lots of people had issues with that. But that didn't mean I was sitting here saying, Jurgen Klinsmann's got to go. Well, when you lose a game you're supposed to win on U.S. soil in a tournament the United States is traditionally a finalist in, the last time the U.S. did not make a final at the Gold Cup was 2003, then maybe it's time to go, just based on the results. I'm sort of with you, Carlos. I mean, he's got he's got October 9th. You can't make a change before October 9th, I don't think. That that would be difficult. I mean, I don't know. God, it's it's friggin' July. It's it's really tough because you want that confederation. Well, I'm not going to finish with this, but my biggest fear is this. I don't, as far as World Cup qualification, which as Taylor Tolman said, that is the big goal. I don't want to be in a situation where we're in the Mexico situation like last time around when we're playing New Zealand just to get into the World Cup. Because I hate to say it, that's what we're looking like, the way we've been playing. I mean, there's just no way around it. We lost against Jamaica. Mm-hmm. What makes you think that we're not going to lose against Jamaica in the qualifiers? Sure, sure. I mean, that stuff's out there. And again, Trevor trying to be, I guess, the voice of reason here. Trevor's he's just he's just a Jurgen Klinsmann sycophant, actually. <laughs> That's what I'm going to put him on. No, no. He said, look, there is no there is no clear successor. There's not. I mean, unless you're going to hand the reins to what Andy Herzog, who is Klinsmann's man, or Tab Ramos, who has zero experience at this level, or I don't know. Again, there aren't a lot of obvious candidates floating around, and this is not a federation that likes to go flash in the cash when it comes to the national team head coach. So it's not as though I, when, you know, I mentioned Fabio Capello, somebody brings up Carlo Ancelotti. You're not getting those guys because you're not going to pay them. They're not going to pay them that kind of the money that's going to take to get them here. So it's, and we shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and you probably shouldn't waste a couple million dollars on Fabio Capello right now or on, on Carlo Ancelotti. No matter how good their reputations are, they don't know the player pool. And, and again, ahead of October, very difficult to make any other change. And, you know, but there is a contrarian opinion out there. Dan on Twitter says that the U.S. was unlucky. Clinton put out his best players. It's the players who couldn't finish their chances. I mean, you know, I I could argue. (laughs) I could argue it's also the players who missed their marks. And if you have Omar Gonzalez on the bench, why the hell are you playing John Brooks in a in a game that matters with his limited experience and and, and, an ability in the air? All I gotta say is he put Gordon in, who's only played for the U.S. twice before. No, Last once. time was what, 2012? Once. He played, that like was, that was your, that was Alan Gordon's second oh. cap ever. And by the way, that was a Hail Mary desperation move. I get it practically. I can coach brain my way to why Alan Gordon was in this team and, and in that game. But come on. If you're going to Alan Gordon, you are in desperate straits. Figure something else out. Where, again, where is Juan Agadello? Why couldn't you figure out a way to get him on the field? Why is Josie out the door not at that level? And if you don't have a, have a plan B, then figure something out. I mean, again, previous to that, they were actually playing, and I saw Kyle McCarthy mention this, a couple of the people on Twitter. They were essentially playing a false nine ahead of that. And yes. it was sort of working. But it's not like the U.S. has ever played in that system before. They'd never played that way before. The four, two, three, one with two holding mids and, uh, and, 
Johansson up there by himself with Dempsey in the hole. That ne- he'd never done that before, and all of a sudden, Klinsman goes, it's a semifinal. Let's trot this out. I mean, come on. It, it makes no sense. Carlos, I appreciate the call, man. All right, bye. Appreciate it. There you go. 646-832-3909. We're here for a couple more minutes if you want to jump in on the U.S. failure at the Gold Cup. 2015 Gold Cup will forever be remembered as the tournament the United States lost in the semifinals to Jamaica. And it could be a tipping point for Jurgen Klinsmann. I don't think it, look, you, you, you don't have to be on the, you don't have to be, Jurgen Klinsmann's the greatest thing ever. We can't fire him or we can't, he, what, what else would, you know, he, you don't have to believe he's the greatest or you don't have to believe he's, a disaster and should be fired. There, there's a middle ground here. They they lost a game that they hadn't lost before, and I think that that says something whether or not you want to analyze particular circumstances or not. The United States failed on set-piece defending. That's what happened. They failed on set-piece defending. And 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 again, as a voice of, of something approaching reason last night, I wanted to make it clear that they didn't, they didn't put in a disastrous performance. They were actually better in that game than they had been in the entire tournament previous minus the Cuba match. They ha- they were. They did not score goals, and that's part of the problem. Andrew in New York, you're on the air. Hey, Jason, how's it going, man? Oh, yeah, no. Uh, uh, hey, yeah, it's so- <laughs> Go Hello? Ahead. Go ahead, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, kind of wiping the wounds away today, man. Um so I guess on the whole, just thinking about Sunil Gulati and they had the whole hearing, and I'm wondering if he's kind of got bigger fish to fry right now than worrying about his head coach for the national team. So part of me wonders if, I don't know, if this whole CONCACAF thing, there's a lot more going on, and he kind of lets Jurgen ride it out till 2018 and see services at that point. You, you, look, you bring something up, Andrew, that is interesting, and it's the, the possibility that, hey, U.S. soccer might be a little distracted right now, and, and maybe the results yeah. uh, for the U.S. national team are not necessarily paramount to, to their issues. Um, exactly. now, you know, when I was asked this morning, I made an appearance on uh, Bleacher Report Radio with Dan Levy, and he asked me about this. He asked me about whether or not there are sharks in the water around Sunil Gulati and the, the bosses over at U.S. Soccer in light of the FIFA corruption scandal, in light of the Senate subcommittee hearing? And I will say yes to that question. Um, whether or not you believe that Senate subcommittee hearing is a joke and is you know all about scoring political points for some of those people on the dais, certainly senators who can't pronounce FIFA, uh, don't make themselves look very knowledgeable, don't make themselves look very good, I still think that U.S. Soccer has a lot to answer for right now, and we're not getting answers, Andrew. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And real quick, if I have a minute on that four two three one formation, I, you know, I've always thought like the whole Michael Bradley question and where he plays. Um, I'm a Chelsea fan as well, and I always, I guess, I don't know if this is quite Bradley's game, but I, it made sense to me that if you've got someone that's more of the defensive midfielder playing for the U.S., kind of like Beckerman's been, I don't know, kind of that Matic role, and then Fabregas is that guy who's really pushing a little bit more forward, but he's asked to kind of also play that holding role. I, I mean, to me, that I always kind of saw Bradley kind of fitting in a similar mold as that. I mean, obviously, I don't know if I want to put him on a Fabregas level, but you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, but I mean, again, it, it, it's it's not just about where you put Michael Bradley. It's about what his support system is around him. Um, and 
you know, you have right. to have the players. I mean, if the United States had three Michael Bradleys, they'd probably be fine. You could play one uh, in the hole. You could play one at, hole, at, the, at a holding midfield position. You could play one who's a, an out-and-out defensive mid. Or you could play one who's, uh, you know, pushed up higher in covering. Or, you know, or if they had two of them, for that matter, sure. uh, because of the ground that Michael Bradley can cover, they don't. They have right. one. And because they have one, you now are forced to take that player pool. And, again, this is not all Jurgen Klinsmann's fault. Although you could argue there are other options, particularly at the defensive midfield role behind Michael, uh, sorry, behind Kyle Beckerman, who could have gotten a look in this tournament. Um, you have to find a way to support Bradley so that he does. I mean, last year at the World Cup, we saw him end up doing too much because he was asked to play sort of an yeah. eight, eight and a half, which was, or a, a, a nine, right. and a, whatever it was. It was an eight and a 10. It was, it was all over the place. Kyle Beckerman is an, is an out and out six. Who limits you in some in some ways, even as he is benefiting you in others, and they clearly want to play right. out of the back. So now you've got a question of your center backs and the ball at their feet, and and the sort of um, conduit that Beckerman becomes, and where Michael Bradley's picking up the ball, and you want Clint Dempsey to be on the ball, so he's dropping deep to pick it up, and and now you've got sort of these shuttling back and forth in opposite direction, central mids, and, and a forward in the case of Dempsey, and it just gets seems to be getting a little more messy than it's worth. Yeah. yeah. Yep, absolutely, man. Appreciate the call. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks. There goes uh, yep. Andrew up in New York. Let's talk to uh, someone else in New York. It's our boy Washington up there. What's up, Washington? Hey, Jason. How you doing, man? Uh, first of all, before I get into my rant, I just want to say, because I don't want this to get lost, I want to say congratulations to Jamaica for making their first final. I think it's great for them. Okay? Yes. Yes. I want to congratulate them on that. All right. Now, let me ask you something, Jason. What is it with this love, of ter- this love affair between Sunil and Klinsman? Because no one else, no one else, no one, that, not Bob Bradley, not, not Bruce Arena, no one, would would get away with the stuff that he's gotten away with. Anybody else loses at the semifinal level to 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 any other team, right? They would have gotten fired on the spot. And I, you know, I, 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 I don't know about, about on the spot. And, and and saying and and I understand what you were saying before about uh, well, if we get rid of uh, Jurgen, well, who do we go with? Who do we replace him with? I don't. I, I find fault with that argument because that's like somebody who's in an abusive relationship saying, well, if I leave him, Whoa. where am I going to go? Or if I leave him, who am I going to be with? Whoa. I just that comes next. Okay. Who do we replace him okay. comes next? But but the only the if only he does the only logic ahead, Washington. The only way that that logic works is if you believe that Jurgen Klinsmann is doing more damage as he's on the job, as he continues to be on the job. That's the only way that that I logic do. makes it. Okay, so I you believe... because these guys, the morale, and I see it on the pitch, the morale has gone down since he's gone over, since he's taken over. Like, it just, you look at these guys, I look at their faces, and they look miserable. And maybe it's just me, maybe I'm, but I, I keep seeing in every game, and it's not the first time I've borrowed up with you, they just look miserable. And I really think you're is the cause of that. I really do. Right. You know, and, and, and who who are you replacing when it comes next? If in October he loses that playoff, he has to go. He has to go. Because we can't bring him in to, to, to work up qualifying. We just can't. He has to. Wow. Washington in New York. Appreciate the call, Washington. It's always good to Take hear care. from you, man. There you go. Uh shirt number holder, Washington. I can't remember his number five or something. 
We are uh, wrapping up this edition of Soccer Morning here on a Thursday. It is a very interesting day to be a U.S. Uh, men's national team fan as they have lost in the semifinals of the Gold Cup, uh, which does not happen, and it do- certainly does not happen to Jamaica. Uh, the aftermath, as we try to pick up the pieces here, is very complicated. What does this mean for Jurgen Klinsmann? What does this mean for the players involved? And certainly, what does this mean for the future of the U.S. men's national team? They've got a October 9th date now circled on the calendar, a playoff to make the Confederations Cup in 2017 in Russia against the winner of Mexico and Jamaica. That game comes up on Sunday. And the United States has to play a third-place match on Saturday. So that's fun. That's what you want. You want to be playing a third-place match. Thank you very much to Taylor Twelman for coming on this show. He's great, as always. You're following him already. You don't need me to tell you where uh, where Taylor is on Twitter. Uh, go to backheel.com slash store. Buy yourself a soccer boarding mug. We've got T-shirts over there as well. 3NILFC.com uh, should have soccer morning t-shirts. We're checking up on that. And, uh, man, see you over on Sirius XM FC 94. That'll be a good time as well. Join us then. See ya. Did my invitations disappear? What I put my heart on every cursive letter. Tell me why the hell no one is here.